Welcome to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Carruthers, and I have been a serial cannapreneur in the growing, processing, and retail space for over eight years. And we are here to learn together to get a well-balanced understanding of cannabis and cannabis products. Tune in every week for quality cannabis education for your canna inspiration. Work for me now. Ready? The circle. Am I there? Boom! I am live. Am I live? I should be live. If you can hear me out there in the comments, let me know. You can hear me. Let me know. Technology is working. My people, we are live. Hello, hello, hello. And what up, though? Welcome to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast Show. Thank you for the hearts. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm feeling amped up. Woo! Yes, we have a very good show for you today. Welcome to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast Show. This show um, is here to help you avoid uncomfortable bad experiences. Everybody has that story where they ate too much of a brownie or something like that. Well, we are, you know, maybe you got some shady product or you went to some alley. Well, we want to help you avoid that stuff through education, through making connections. This is a live show. You can connect with each other. You can share phone numbers, your social security numbers, whatever you want to do. This is live in the comments. This is all good. And through advocacy as well. This is more than uh, this first of all, first, first and foremost, this movement is about stopping people from getting arrested, prosecuted, and put in jail over a damn plant. Not about billions of dollars. So that's what we got to stay in the forefront as well. What's up, Stace? I see you in the comments. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. What's up, Q? I see you out there as well. I love it. 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 All right. So, yes, this is a campus therapy podcast. We have different topics every single week that fall underneath a different series. For example, we have a campus therapy series. We get into like the science of cannabis, how to use cannabis, like endocannabinoids, how it works with your body. Uh, we have the history of cannabis. Anytime something changes in the laws or we go back into history to understand where we came from, we got that. We also teach you how to grow as well. We have your Grow Your Own series because there's nothing more better than growing your own cannabis at home, where it's legal, of course. Or we also have the Do Yourself. We get into making products as well, um, how to make cannabis products from a therapeutic point of view. But in this series is the Cannabis Connect. So we're going to talk about subcamps banking. We're going to get into recent federal and state laws um, and strategies to bank with cannabis and what's wrong with cannabis. We're going, to, we're going to get into what is up with cannabis banking. And that falls underneath our Cannabis Connect series, which is for budding entrepreneurs who are looking to get into the industry or who are in the industry to kind of fine tune their skills and stay on top of what is going on in the cannabis industry. Yes. Hope you have followed all that. If you didn't, you can always go to the free hub, CannabisTherapyNetwork.com or .org. I'm sorry, CannabisTherapyNetwork.org. It's a free hub. You can rewatch all of our YouTube videos, all our live podcasts. You can search through all the content and all that jazz. CannabisTherapyNetwork.org. Jen, would you please put that in the comments? Cannabis Therapy Network. In a, in a, everybody give a clap for Jen. Jen's in the background right now. She's in the back. showing us love all the time. Thank you, Jen. All right. We have a special guest. I can't keep him waiting too long. I know he's like he's like a I won't say McGregor because he broke his ankle last 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 week. Um, but we're gonna say he's like a heavyweight champion in the background right now, ready to get up here. Um, give a brief introduction because um, I can't talk about Cannabis Banking just by myself. We have to bring him an expert, and we have one heck of an expert named Rod Kite. Um, man, you know what? 
I never asked how to spell his last or say his last name. I hope I said it right, Rod. Rod Kite, or he's going to correct me if I'm wrong, but it's all good. I got Rod, Rod. Uh, Rod is being uh, known for being a accomplished and award-winning cannabis attorney, author, and advocate. Yes. Rod is also uh, the author of the Cannabis Business Law, the first legal business premiere for the cannabis industry. Yes. Check that out. Cannabis Business Law. He's the author of that book. And something that's really impressive about him, he was featured in Beyond Rope and Dope as one of the best lawyers in America, winner business edition in 2017. That's in America, people. Not, not like, you know, on, on a corner, but one of the best attorneys in America. He is joining us live from Mexico. What is going on? Let me get him up. Let me get him up. Come on. Internet. Work for me now. Work for me. Are you there? Rod, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to the show, fam. I'm really happy to be here, Earl. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love the energy. I love the education. And I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, before we get started, two things. One, I want to congratulate you on pronouncing my name right the first time. You know, I assume I'd, I'd forgotten it because I grew up <laughs> answering to all sorts of things that were not my last name because it's a little bit weird. But it is Kite. It's like night, uh, but with a K instead of an N. So thanks a lot for that. Secondly, I am in Mexico. Uh, it's beautiful down here right now. Mexico is, is legalizing as we speak, uh, as we discussed before the show. Uh, that also means that sometimes the internet connection is not great. So uh, can everybody hear me okay? Is it coming through? Let us know in the comments if you can hear Rod. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yep. We got right. some claps. We got some claps. We are, we are, we are looking good. Um, okay, great. Awesome. So, so Rod, I'm gonna jump to some things, and then I'm man, I I, I got I'm gonna have to ask you about some Mexico legislation a little bit later. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have sure. to do that. Uh, <clears throat> right now, we're gonna talk about chemist banking and kind of set it up, Rod. The conversation. I kind of want to get into, you know, why is banking so difficult here in America? Um, we're gonna. I want to get into some pending legislation uh, mm -hmm. that you may know of um, that can help reform some banking, and then the good old cuss word. 280E. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that. And then uh, some best practices, despite all what's going on for cannabis banking. And then we're going to look into your crystal ball, right? I know you have a crystal ball of cannabis banking in the future. Um, we want to know what you think for the future. Is that cool? Sounds great to me. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, first and foremost, uh, why does it even matter we even talking about cannabis banking? What is the big deal? Like, why can't we just, you know, stack up cash and shoeboxes? Um, what's the mm -hmm. problem here? Well, you know, right off, right off the bat, you know, any business uh, needs a finance, financial institution because, uh, and frankly, we'll talk about stacking cash in boxes and, and, the, and the importance of security, uh, but, but any legitimate business is, is going to need to use banking services. A, it's a good place to keep money. Sometimes you can earn interest. It's easy to transfer money. It's easy to get access to your money, so on and so forth. And the problem with, with cannabis banking, and I'm going to use the term a lot of times you'll hear marijuana, just as a little aside. Now, marijuana has some uh, has a, a, a terrible um, history in, in terms of the use of that term. Uh, but I use the term marijuana specifically for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is because that's the term that's used in this in most statutes and certainly the federal statute. Uh, and and it's so it's important as a lawyer to be specific with language. But also uh, we've had a little bit of cannabis reform at the federal level uh, in the in the form of hemp. 
And so we actually have two forms of cannabis under, yeah. uh, from a legal standpoint. One is hemp, which is legal at the federal level, and the other is marijuana, which is illegal at the federal level. So I just want to apologize in advance. Sometimes when I use the term marijuana, people say you shouldn't be using that. I agree. I, cannabis is the right term. And I think 10 years from now, we'll all be using the term cannabis and legally or, or not. But I have to use it now sometimes for, um, for, for our purposes with the law. So with that being said, uh, uh, marijuana banking, the problem is that um, marijuana, even though it's legal in some form or fashion in most of the states under state law, it is still illegal. It's a schedule one, the highest you know, or, or, or most restrictive schedule under federal law uh, as a drug. And because it is federally illegal, um, banks have concerns and um, and their concerns we can talk about, but, but they're essentially primary concern is being implicated uh, for trafficking in marijuana by virtue of, of providing um, banking services to to their customers. And so that's the problem. And, and most banks will not uh, bank marijuana services or, or customers. And that's primarily because the main rule, because it's fairly illegal and it's a schedule one substance as we pertain marijuana, not hemp, right? That's correct. And, and hemp is, is cannabis with no more than 0.3% Delta 9 THC. Anything else with anything above 0.3%, 0 0.3% is, is marijuana. And so, you know, our, again, it's a Schedule One controlled substance under federal law. And the possession, distribution, or sale of marijuana remains illegal under federal law. And so any contact with money that can be traced back to a state marijuana operation, even though it's perfectly legal under, uh, under um, state law, uh, could still be considered money laundering and expose a bank to significant legal, operational, and, and financial risk. Now, for just because you, you brought up hemp, per se, so hemp businesses right now, if you legally have a hemp business, they're okay doing banking. Is that right? They they are okay. There's no prohibition if you're if you're a, a, a hemp business that's properly licensed in your state, and that's a whole other category of things. But right. um, you are doing something that's federally lawful, and and there is no prohibition whatsoever on banks doing business with you now. Unfortunately, a lot of banks won't bank hemp businesses either. So that's an issue that I deal with with my hemp clients. Uh, but technically speaking, there's it's, you might as well be selling and, and possessing and trafficking shoes or bicycles or whatever <laughs> when it comes to hemp. It's perfectly legal at the federal level. I love it. I love it. I love it. So now businesses that, that are operating, man, there's clearly different. I mean, I, I lose track of the number of how many states are medical, how many are, are actually um, adult use, but I believe it's more than half. Yeah, but not for sure. Now we have more than half of the state's medical or adult use. What are those businesses doing now? Well, you know, they're doing a lot of things. Uh, a lot of them are, are using credit unions. Credit unions um, are, you know, some of them are chartered such that they're they're um, under state law uh, rather than than um, governed by the, the the FDIC, the Federal Depository Insurance Corporation. Uh, some are are using banks that are specifically chartered for. For, for cannabis banking and they're set up and, and they have different sort of um, structures as to how they operate to bank cannabis customers. And, and there've been some lawsuits in the past and, and a lot of fights with these banks um, and the feds and, their, and, and whatnot in terms of what they can do. Um, a lot of businesses are just using cash. You talk about the shoebox effect there. <laughs> and um, some, some um, you know, marijuana businesses are, are desperate and, and they're not being truthful with their banks, which is not, it's not anything that I recommend, but it's just something that's happening. So we have a, a hodgepodge of things that are happening. Uh, I read a report, I think it's the latest report. It may, may not be, but at least as of March of 2020. So we're, you know, a little over a year ago, uh, there were 710 banks that were reporting to the FD, I mean, to FinCEN, which is the financial 
uh, crimes enforcement um, division of the of the federal government. They oversee banks. Right. Uh, we're reporting that they were banking marijuana customers, 710 banks. That was down a little bit. Wow. And if there is a more recent report, uh, my guess would be, and I could be wrong, that there probably even be less. You know, with COVID and and everything else. That but we're hovering in the in the country with you know a, a little over 700 banks that that will openly bank uh, marijuana customers. Now, would that be how, because you still go into some of these um, licensed retail stores and they're accepting credit cards um, right. payments. Is is that in tie with maybe those 700 or so banks are allowing that or is that a different ballgame in itself too? No, that's a great question because right, and I think it's important to tease out, there's a difference between a bank as we think of it, you know, it's where you go and you deposit your money and you withdraw your money uh, and a merchant processor that's the one that takes the money from from here and transports it to here from bank to bank. Um, and, and merchant banks and and and, um, and services are often associated with with a certain bank, but but not always. And typically, the the problem there is even if you have a, a merchant processor that's affiliated with a bank that will accept, uh, and everyone's happy and cool and okay with with marijuana and understand it, uh, Visa and Mastercard, the sort of the high end that control these things all over the you know across the globe. Uh, typically have a ban on it. So for merchant processing is is even more difficult and you see a lot of different solutions being offered. And, and frankly, some of those solutions are that, that these dispensaries or and retail shops are, are, are maybe coding the, um, you know, this transaction as something other than what it is in order to get it through. And, and, and again, I, I can't recommend that, but I do know what's happening. Uh, that can have some pretty bad ramifications though, if, if those people are caught. Okay. Okay. Note it. Note it. Note it. Now, is there now with all these these problems? I mean, obviously, with collecting nothing but but cash, that creates a security issue. Yeah. Um, is there anything in play right now as far as um, reform that could be pending to help change some of this? I heard about like the Safe Banking Act and kind of more act. Is 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 that kind of may help this situation? Yeah, I think um, so. Let's talk about those. So, so first of all, you know, to to, to um, you know. To the little preamble to our discussion of, of the SAFE Act is this issue of security. You know, cannabis is a, is a, is a desired product, you know, and it's, it's wanted in states where it's legal and it's wanted on the black market. And so you got to have your security in place regardless. Uh, but if you're dealing with cash and you're, you're likely going to be dealing with a lot of cash, because even if you have, you know, a good banking relationship and you do banking and you've got a good merchant processor and you're like, you know, we're, we're a, a business to, and we're happy to have our bank relationship. A lot of your customers, you know, don't want to be have any any sort of record of anything. So they're gonna they're gonna still walk in with cash. You're gonna have to be right. dealing with cash, right. and you need to have good security. And that and that's a whole nother discussion. Um, but generally speaking, it's it's reliable, uh, loyal, appropriate um, security. You've got to have places to store the cash. You've got to have different routes that you take so people aren't following you. There's a whole 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 thing there. But when you we talk about banking, which is really the most important thing. Uh, the primary legal vehicle right now is what's called the Safe Banking Act. And the okay. Safe Banking Act is a bill. It hasn't become law yet in order for, and just a little primer on um, uh, on federal law. I'm thinking back to the days I grew up in the 70s and 80s. There was the, the cartoon where the where the, the bill becomes a law. And I forget how there's a whole song. Oh, no, that goes no. by the, it, you know, you, I always try to remember that too. Because, man, they played that video when I was in high school and then middle school. Yeah, yeah. the bill. 
Like the, yeah, I remember that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bill. My wife, my wife's across the way. She could probably sing it to us. But <laughs> for those of you, and you're younger, so I'm glad that you than I am that you've heard it too. But you know, there's this. This is like you know federal law, you know civics 101. But in order for a for a, a federal law to pass, it has to go uh, before the U.S. House of Representatives, and it also has to and pass, and it has to go before the the Senate and pass, and either the president has to sign it or there has to be a period of time that elapses where the president doesn't veto it and then it becomes law. So where we are with the Safe Banking Act, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, is that it passed the U.S. House of Representatives uh, just this past April, uh, and it's currently before the U.S. Senate. Uh, the Senate is is a is kind of a cluster right now um, yeah. for a lot of historical reasons and a lot of other, you know, a lot of reasons. <laughs> and so we don't know if it's going to pass that. Uh, but generally speaking, um, to get to the point of the bill, the Safe Banking Act, if it's approved, will prohibit banks from declining financial services to marijuana companies solely due to the fact that they deal with marijuana. Now, if the Senate votes to pass the bill, the bill, the Safe Banking Act will allow financial institutions, I'm using that term broadly, not just banks, but all sorts of financial institutions, to provide services to Canvas clients without the fear of federal penalties. Uh, it establishes what's called a safe harbor for these institutions to do business with Canvas clients. In other words, if they will comply with the law and do the the, the, the due diligence that they're required and, and file appropriate reporting, then they are protected from the concerns they currently have, which are you know being indicted for money laundering and trafficking drugs just by virtue of taking money from the clients. So we'll talk about the, the concept for SAFE. In other words, protecting financial institutions so that they will now be required to offer services to marijuana businesses. Uh, it actually has broad bipartisan support. And you think, okay, and I'm using broad strokes here, but generally Democrats are are in favor of, of marijuana and cannabis legalization. Uh, Republicans, not so much, although they're coming along. And but, you know, you know, Republicans um, tend to be focused a lot on business and banking and that kind of right. thing. And this is going right. to bring more business there. So it has broad bipartisan um, support. What we see, though, is that Democrats typically think it's not going far enough. Uh, so, for instance, Majority Leader um, Chuck Schumer wants a more comprehensive bill. So he's like, safe is fine, but we actually need a, a bigger bill. Uh, this morning, uh, not to get too far off, off tack, but Chuck Schumer unveiled language for a new cannabis reform bill that he's going to introduce. That Literally, that happened today. Um, but with respect to safe, he think it does, thinks it doesn't go far enough. The Senate Banking Committee chairman, uh, Sherrod Brown, believes that marijuana banking reform needs to come also in conjunction with sentencing reform to support the needs of those um, right. communities that are most affected by the criminalization of marijuana, which is a super important topic. So so, on the, so you have a lot of support for SAFE, whether or not it's going to pass. Uh, on the one hand, the Republicans you know, may not vote for it. On the other hand, Democrats may not vote for it because they think, well, it's, you know, it's, it doesn't go far enough. So we'll see. Uh, but the concept of allowing banks, in fact, requiring them to bank marijuana customers, um, you know, is something that does actually have some bipartisan support. That's good because because last year the big issue with the Safe Act was we had uh, the Dark Vader of cannabis, Mitch McConnell, I think, right. was the, the Senate Majority Leader. Right. So it, it passed the House, and then when it got to the Senate, it just got you know it just died. It, I mean, nothing happened. So now that the Democrats yeah. kind of took over the House, uh, well, I guess it's like fifty fifty or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. well, there's still the chance of a filibuster, right? The filibuster, right? And so the, the minority party, which which right now is Republicans, can halt legislation from being passed, even though a majority, you know, it wants it to pass. So so we don't know. And Mitch McConnell, interesting as a, a little a tidbit, um, Mitch McConnell is is widely touted as the the big proponent of hemp reform, 
um, from, from the state of, of Kentucky. Um, but when it comes to full cannabis reform in the forms of, of marijuana and whatnot, he is a, a, a big opponent. And so he's, you know, he, he kind of brought us this far uh, and then has done, you know, has been completely unhelpful. In fact, obstructionist when it comes to full reform. So that's been disappointing. Yeah, man, we need, we need, we need all my listeners. We got to go run for Senate, man. We got to, we got to make some, we got to make this some, some happen, man. We got <laughs> Fortunately, wait for these people to die off or something. I mean, what's going I, on? Man, <laughs> but, I agree. We need some real, real reform. Y'all don't want for office for sure. I could go um, in there with, with my flip flops. I'm not wearing shoes. I'm just letting you know. I put on shoes for today. I have to say, I put on shoes, although they're tennis shoes. So I don't. <laughs> I didn't put on my lawyer shoes today. All right, cool, cool. So, okay, so the the Democrats they may want the Safe Bank Act, the Safe Bank Act, to go a little bit further, not just talk yeah. about money, um, right. and because there's, I mean, there's true real lives have been impacted by this oh, man. war on drugs, which was meant really war on certain groups of people. Yes. Um, so yeah, we kind of want to recorrect that. Now, there's another thing called the, the MORE Act. Now, is that more in line with how far they want the State Banking Act to go? It is. So the MORE Act, um, if, if it passed, would just by virtue of, well, I should say what it does, uh, the MORE Act, let me, let me kind of get to my notes here, it federally uh, legalizes cannabis by um, by removing it completely from the Controlled Substances Act. At the beginning of our talk, I said uh, marijuana and also THC, which is one of the cannabinoids from marijuana, of course, are both listed as Schedule One, the most restrictive on the Controlled Substances Act. And because of that, they're essentially federally illegal. Uh, the Moore Act of 2021, if enacted, would would remove it completely from the schedule. So it's no longer marijuana and THC are no longer illegal substances. And so it would also allow people with cannabis convictions to have their records expunged, meaning cleaned, uh, and would create a federal tax on marijuana with the revenue allocated to community reinvestment programs. All great, 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 great. Fantastic. Uh, it would it would open up the opportunity for interstate trade and the formation of both regional and national cannabis markets and wow. would spark market growth and consolidation. And, and as an aside, you know, every topic in cannabis has like four different or 10 different layers. But but one of those layers is that right now, if, if you're in a legal state, whether you're in Michigan or California or Oregon or wherever, uh, okay, fine, you're in your state and it's, it's legal, uh, but you cannot transport that, that product across state lines. You can't even go from one legal state to another. So it's actually federally illegal to go from California with your legal weed to just pop across the state line in your car with to Oregon where you have to be federally illegal because at that point you implicate federal law specifically by crossing state lines. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons you, it, you can't have a true sort of national or even regional business. So the more would change that again, pulling cannabis off the or marijuana off the, con, the control system act. Uh, and then, and then importantly would, t would tax it and, and reinvest in communities that have, have been traditionally uh, and consistently harmed by, by cannabis prohibition. So to get back to the original piece about the MORE Act, um, just the mere passage of MORE would actually help the banking sector because the whole point that the banking piece is important is because marijuana is a federal, federally illegal, Schedule 1. And so if you remove from Schedule 1, then banking suddenly opens up with whether the SAFE Act passes or not. Um, a little history and, and I think points to discuss on, on MORE are, first of all, uh, MORE has passed the House of Representatives in the past. Um, but it didn't pass the Senate uh, last year. And so where we are now is we've got a new MORE Act. It's it's similar with a couple um, you know, changes that, that was just reintroduced, um, gosh, I think within the last month or two uh, in the House of Representatives. Probably it will pass the House of Representatives. It passed last year. Um, when we get to the Senate, you know, 
things are changing every year, getting a little bit better, but we don't know if it would pass. And also now we have Chuck Schumer, who's openly and actively supported Moore, now has unveiled new language. He's going to introduce a bill that goes way beyond Moore and it's a much more comprehensive bill. So we don't know. It could be that the Democrats say, no, no, Chuck, you know, your new stuff is not going to work. Let's stick with Moore. Maybe they pull Moore back and, and focus on, on Schumer's new. I have to aim my hand towards the camera. <laughs> focus on, 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 the, on, on the Moore. So, you know, we're, we're not sure where it's going to go. But the Moore Act is definitely more comprehensive than safe because it deals with more than banking. It deals with completely removing uh, marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act and 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 the things that flow from that. That's what's up. I mean, hopefully, what Schumer introduced, you say, goes way more than the Moore Act. I mean, hopefully, if he's listening, he should add language. Anybody named Earl gets a free license. Uh, yeah, to, I no, yeah, no. I'll get on the horn with Chuck and tell him that Earl gets. <laughs> the free. I think that's important. No, I don't know. I don't know Chuck. Um, you know, unfortunately. Uh, while we're talking about legislation, you know, we don't have um, a unified front, even within the Democratic Party, which is introducing these bills and, and, and passing them. Uh, to, you know, so Chuck Schumer just today been a big advocate for marijuana reform, introduced new language for a bill he's going to introduce um, into the into the Senate. But uh, on the other hand, you have our president who is not in favor of yeah. cannabis reform. At the most, he wants to go this far. And so, you know, we're not sure where this is going to go, but every year seems to bring us closer and closer to that critical mass. So and it's important to let you, sorry, I, no, <laughs> you, go, get go, go. you get a lawyer on the show and we'll do it. We talk, go, talk, talk. Go. Um, but I think for the, for the listeners out there, it is enormously important for you to, to make your voice heard. You know, your, your representative may be uh, representatives, I should say, um, both local and, and, and state and national. Um, may be very pro-cannabis, in which case they need to know that their their um, citizens are, are in favor of what they're doing, but they may not be, and they need to be educated. They need to know that, that people care about this issue. So put it out there. I think you need to stay in contact with your representatives. That's what's up. No, I mean, vote, people. Vote, people. Vote. You know, you know we got we to gotta put what we want in action. We got to put our beliefs into action. That's what's up. Yeah. Uh, now, it sounds like also with the MORE Act that when you said um, – it would kind of lift. I can be able to travel from state to state. Um, hopefully none of you guys do that now. OK, people. Um, but from traveling from state to state, that seemed like it could open up an opportunity for interstate commerce. Interstate to commerce. Where, to where if you have a, a shop in Oregon and then maybe a new state like Idaho comes along and uh, Idaho can now buy, you know, cannabis from Oregon or Michigan and, and, and it could be shipped if the Morak passes. Is that is that sound? That's exactly right, you know, and um, so you can have it. Yeah, you can ship across the across state lines. You know, as if you're a supplier, if you're a retail store and you're buying, you expand your options um, greatly. And in fact, uh, as we see the world beginning to come on online with cannabis reform, you know, we talked about them in Mexico and they're moving along. Some European countries are starting to move along, South American countries, and so the 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 ice is beginning to fall with respect to cannabis reform throughout the world. But right now, even if you're, again, in a state legal um, in, a, in a facility where, where you produce cannabis products or cannabis itself or sell it, um, you can only sell within that within that state. Uh, you can't even sell it to another to a country where it's legal, right. some other buyer elsewhere. But this would you know, once we remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act, that opens that up. So you, you, the world becomes your your oyster becomes your marketplace. I got a feeling Amazon maybe maybe pushing for this more act. Uh, nothing. Yeah, but that wouldn't surprise <laughs> me at all. <laughs> all right, now for the um, for businesses that are currently operating, and you now we got the more act that's still at the House. We have the Safe Banking Act, which is a little bit further along at the Senate. Mm -hmm. 
Um, in the meantime, people are still operating. Um, what is going on with their taxes with this thing called 280E? Oh, just more and more difficulty. So it's tough to run a cannabis business. And that's what we, we advise cannabis businesses every day. And there are a lot of hurdles, a lot of creative, smart, entrepreneurial people that I really like and respect that we deal with because there's all these hurdles and, and the, the landscape is changing. But one piece of the landscape that actually hasn't changed for a long time and needs to change is IRS code 280E. Now, we've talked about taxes and IRS, and so don't everybody go to sleep. This is actually hugely important. <laughs> um, what IRS 280E does is it's a very small provision in the tax code that says that no deduction um, can be taken and no tax credit given to a uh, for any amount that's paid or incurred in carrying on a trade or business if such trade or business um, consists of trafficking in controlled substances um, under federal law, regardless of if you're state legal. So to sort of translate that to more uh, human terms, and I'm actually going to, I copied and pasted from the IRS itself that I'm going to read if you're going to let me hear in a second. But but essentially what happens is if you run a business, just a standard business, let's say you've got a, you know, a shoe shop and you sell shoes. Well, you've got to, you bring in X number, you know, $100,000 a year. Let's just make up a number. Well, of that $100,000 a year, you may pay, you know, $10,000 in rent. You may pay another $8,000 in marketing. You may pay $20,000 to your employees. You've got the cost of the goods. You've got to buy the shoes that then you resell to at a profit and so on and so forth. You've got all of these expenses. So at the end of the year, you brought in $100,000 in revenue. Um, but the amount of money that you actually make that your profit might be, I didn't keep up with the numbers, but you know, let's say $22,000 and that's your profit. And in a normal business situation, that's what you pay taxes on. You don't pay taxes on a hundred thousand. You pay taxes on the $22,000 that's your, that's your profit. Okay. 280E flips that on its head somewhat. And it says, you know what? All those expenses that you pay your rent, your marketing, your employees and so on and so forth. Guess what? You can't take those as deductions. You can take the cost of goods. So the money that you pay to buy those shoes, Okay, that's fine. You can deduct it. So you've got $100,000. You deduct the cost of the shoes that you purchase that you're going to resell. Let's say that's $20,000. So you're actually taxed on everything else. So you're taxed on money that you actually didn't make, money that you actually paid out to run your business. Wow. And what this what this does is radically, not, not just generally, but radically reduce the profits for uh, marijuana businesses. And this is something that I think a lot of people don't quite fully understand. So they're doing projections and man, people love weed. We've got great products and we've got good marketing and good people. But wait a second, what happens if you can't take these deductions and suddenly your tax burden becomes becomes enormous? Um, and so I was going to read the tax thing, but I think I'm happy to answer questions, but I think I would just, now that I'm looking at it, probably would just repeat what I just said. Um, so that's what 280E is. And if I could talk for just one more second, there is kind of an interesting story as to why we have 280E. Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase and generalize a lot. But back in the 80s, um, it, it, I say the height of the drug war. We've been at the height of the drug war for decades now. Right. Um, but 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 in the just say no years of the Reagan years of, um, of, of the 80s, there was a famous case in which a cocaine dealer was was busted for for selling cocaine. And um, he you know, he was put in jail. He was sentenced to this, that, and the other. Uh, also, uh, he said, they, they, they sentenced him and said, well, you've got to pay a whole huge tax burden because you had all this money come in. You, you know, let's just say it was, I, I'm making up numbers again. Let's say it was a million bucks Well, you're going to pay taxes on a million bucks. We had a smart, clever attorney and the attorney said, wait a second, you know, my client didn't file tax returns. 
we're going to go through and file tax returns. And he took that million bucks and he said, well, he had the cost of his employees. He had the cost of his scales. He had the cost of, of his product. He had all, all the regular, he was running a business. It was just an wow. illegal business. And it turned out that his tax burden, um, once he filed tax returns was radically reduced and that was an outrage, you know? And so, and so back at, back in the day, everyone said, Oh, this is, this is crazy. This, this drug dealer should not be able to take deductions on the tools that he used and the expenses he used to sell drugs. So that's when 280E was implicated and it kind of made sense at the time and no one really, really, you know, looked askew at it. But now in this era where we have legal businesses that are operating completely lawfully under state law, are still federally illegal. They're still under federal law selling a controlled substance. 280E applies to them. And wow. So because problem. of case law, 280E came into play. Yep. And it was more from a cocaine case. But now yep. that states, and that was a federal, was that a fed federal case? case? Wow. Fed case, exactly. Yeah. Um, a, and wow. so now it applies to state legal um, marijuana businesses. Any business that's trafficking in and illegally trafficking in the controlled substances, 280 is, is going to apply. Um, but it's not a big, you know, not not a big deal uh, except for marijuana, which which so many people are operating completely legally under state law, but this still tags them. So if if they're being taxed almost up to ninety percent, then like uh, yeah. of, of of what they're making, how 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 are they? I mean, are they making money? I mean, the, everyone sees <laughs> these retail stores and, oh, man, there are people coming in and out like it's, you know, like soul food restaurant or something. But, um, oh, man, exactly. It, and it's tough, too, because we're just talking about federal there. I mean, these same businesses are subject to state taxes, you know, sales tax and use tax and income tax and sometimes local taxes. And then everyone talks about wanting to tax cannabis because it's a great, you know, everyone wants, well, let's put, let's add another tax on it. So, so we can pay for this, that, and the other, and all that may be fine. Tax policy is a, a whole different conversation, but once you, once you, you stack all those up and in particular, the effect of 280E, you know, right. your, your profit drops down significantly. And so these businesses that are, even ones that are bringing in lots of revenue are not necessarily making a lot of money. So it's more, more of a long-term play waiting yep. for reform and then they'd be in position to be able to, that's where you got to have the deep pockets to kind of play through this short-term game for the yeah. whole long-term. Huh? Wow. Unfortunately, deep pockets is kind of the name of the game. And that's, that stinks because again, it just plays. There are, there are lots of people and small businesses and, and communities with, with support, uh, that don't have the deep pockets, but are perfectly suited to to serve the needs of of, of their of cannabis customers. So yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of things wrong with 280E, and a lot of things wrong with with the present situation. Now, has there been any changes at all uh, with 280E to help with? Uh... No changes. There have been some case law, and so um, a, a couple of sort of general things that to be thinking about. Um, there, there's essentially two ways, and again, I'm just talking in broad terms, that say the 30,000 foot view. Uh, that, that companies have dealt with the impact of 280E. One is that, as I said before, the cost of goods uh, is something that um, that that is you can actually reduce. And so, depending on the business, what is your cost of goods? If you're a real retail shop, that means what it costs you to to bring in those those products. And you can get a good CPA to help you really carve out a good cost of goods. Um, if you're producing cannabis, if you're a grower. You know what? What is your cost? That might be the seeds and the and the production costs or whatever. But whatever it is, you you can reduce it by cost of goods. Uh, and so there are ways to to um, construct your cost of goods so that they're both legal and help you a lot. Um, but the other piece is is this tax does not apply to a business that is not trafficking. 
And so you see a lot of different cases where people or companies have filed tax returns and they said, no, actually, we've got two separate businesses. One side, yep, mm-hmm. we understand. 280 applies to us. We sell, sell marijuana. But the other side of the business is actually we don't sell marijuana at all. We sell merch. We provide services. We provide education, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And on that, 280E does not apply to us. So we're going to take all those deductions on that side of the business. And it really become, comes down to a very fact-specific um, situation. The IRS has allowed deductions in situations where it has determined that there are two distinct business ventures, um, but has denied those deductions and said 280E does apply when the IRS says, no, this is really just one business entity and you're involved in trafficking marijuana, period. And there are there are some cases that are helpful out there. And so uh, I guess the takeaway, and we're going to talk about takeaways, I think, in, in a moment, when it comes to 280E, it's really, really important to get a good CPA, not just a CPA who who's who's good at accounting, but a CPA who knows and has dealt with 280E because uh, there are strategies that are that are lawful that you can put together to maximize your profits um, under this onerous tax system. That's a good but that kind of leads to the next thing. My question was going to be anything that a cannabis business owner can do with the understanding of 280E is not is not a surprise. It's kind of like all right, you already know what's coming. What can you do to be in position uh, the best position. So one you're saying is having a great CPA yeah. to help uh, carve out a good cost of goods. So, mm-hmm. okay. and yeah, absolutely, cost of goods. And also, if you know, there, there, if your if your business does, your business model is such that it provides or can provide additional services that are not directly related to trafficking. I use that term because it's the legal term to selling uh, marijuana. Well, then set up that separate business and run as much of your revenue through that again and i'm talking you know this is all needs to be legitimate and cpa right, can help you with right, that right. you know because th- there are that ba- i mean i'm talking to you man you're you're a fantastic educator and and there are companies and clients that we, we represent that that have fantastic merchandise or or other services they provide that don't relate to selling cannabis and if you can structure those in a separate business venture uh then, then you can take your normal business deductions under those um types of, uh, of setups i like it yeah I'm more than just cannabis. I'm an educator. Mm-hmm. Like I tell my wife, I'm more than just a husband and man. I'm a lover too. <laughs> That's right. Well, cannabis covers all bases. You know, it's more than just slinging weed. It's more than just getting high, man. It's about health. It's about it's about equity. It's about business. It's about international. Um, commerce. It's about it. It's 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 a comprehensive thing, and so and that's one of the reasons I love it and have a passion for it, and I know that you do as well. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anything else to where um they could do to maybe protect their profits? Um, I hear like credit unions um are more cannabis. I know you mentioned some banks like over seven hundred and ten earlier. Um, are those more like small small banks uh, that someone should look for? Or? Yeah, so so usually small um you know credit unions are great institutions, and I think to to a lot of us. Um, unschooled in the wo- ways of banking and financial institutions, uh, a credit union just looks like a bank. But there are a lot of distinct differences between a credit union and a bank. Typically, credit unions require you to be a member, and membership sometimes is limited to a certain um, you know, trade that you're involved in or community that you live in or activity you're involved in. But, but there are a lot of different credit unions, and, and they have very often really good services. And I, I'm just talking generally. Uh, and, and certainly credit unions have really led the way in cannabis banking. Uh, and then also sort of smaller state or regional banks uh, are, are ones to look for. So, uh, yeah, I, I really like uh, dealing with these smaller 
banks. They know their customers, they know what services they provide, and they really try to carve out um, helpful banking services for smaller businesses. People, people like you and me that, and, and, and your listeners uh, who, who want to do the right thing and, and are not, you know, a fortune 500 company. Okay. Now, now, now are, are you a CPA as well? Or, uh, uh, an, an attorney that practices tax or helps with taxes? Or? Good question. I'm not a CPA. We do some tax work. Most of our tax work has to do with tax controversy. The tax, you know, the IRS has, has determined that someone you know, did something wrong and we step in to try to help. Uh, and, and also we've done some, some tax litigation. But no, there are, there are CPAs that are, that are focused on, on cannabis and, and focused on doing it right and they can be found. I'm happy to, to, to help connect people too. Um, and also there are attorneys that, that specialize in tax. It's a very deep and, and rich and often boring, but, but very needed <laughs> um, area of the law. And, and I'm not one of those tax specialists, but there are tax specialists out there and they are, they're worth their weight in gold. Awesome. And, and again, um, y'all who are still uh, hanging on here, watching the live. Thank you. Uh, this is still, you got questions, hit them up. Um, we can definitely answer those questions live while we're here. Definitely uh, take advantage of the knowledge of Rod, Rod Kite. Uh, Cause he, man, this is, this is, this is wonderful, Rod. This is, this is great. This is great. Now I know you, I know you got that crystal ball over there uh, on your <laughs> right hand side. Uh, tell me about the future of cannabis banking. What do you see? Yeah, well, I think that um, some version, safe or some other banking reform will probably happen uh, within the next 12 months. Uh, but what I really see happening with cannabis banking is in the bigger picture, uh, marijuana and THC are going to be removed from the controlled substances list in some way that is going to necessarily open up banking. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, the timeline could be as, as soon as a, as a year, a year and a half, but, but it also might still, we might still be, uh, you know, a few years away from that. Uh, again, our current, our current president is, is unlikely to veto legislation that passes, right. um, but he's not out there promoting it either. And I do think we'll probably see some meaningful reform uh, during this administration. Now, wasn't um, Harris, um, our, our vice president, uh, responsible for sponsoring the MORE Act or the Safe Banking Act? I think so. Actually, I didn't. I didn't pull that up, but I think so. You know, Harris has a, has a little bit of a checkered past, given that she's done a lot of marijuana prosecutions in her prior career. But to her immense credit, she's come around, and and she is an advocate for cannabis reform. And I think that she's made a lot of headway in, in that respect. Love it, love it, love it. Now, uh, all right, are we going to wrap up some of these some of these takeaways? Um, Key, I got actually had a question as far as if, if we went schedule, if it was descheduled, I was hoping it didn't go to schedule two, three, or four. It just I know. You know just went off the whole schedule. Um because right. will there be an opportunity to regulate cannabis like tomatoes? Because that's my goal. I want to yeah. see cannabis regulated <laughs> like tomatoes. Man, that's you're you're speaking my language. I'm I'm with <laughs> you on that. Unfortunately, I don't think that we're anywhere near that. Um uh, what's what's you know, the, the Schumer um language that he just revealed today is is probably the the most sweeping, comprehensive, progressive language that we've that we've yet seen, and I've only, only had a chance to skim over it. And even in that capacity, it, it it still it does a lot. It does a lot of great things. And I'm not I don't I'm not prepared to really talk too deeply about it, but I'll say that even under that thing, it would put it, it would still put cannabis as, as being regulated like 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 tobacco and, and alcohol. So it's still kind of under the vice category in terms of in terms of being regulated by a federal agency. Uh, and the and the key thing that it would do is it would still allow states 
to regulate cannabis. And so I don't, you know, it wouldn't be like, Hey, I can just grow cannabis in my backyard, like tomatoes. And if I want to sell it in the farmer's market, great. It still would be subject to these various state regulations. You can have interstate commerce, but, but in order to, to, to grow and, and, and produce and sell and use cannabis in your state, you have to abide by state law, much like alcohol and tobacco now. Okay. 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 So some, um, we'll wrap up some key takeaways. We, we do have a couple questions in the, uh, in the audience. We'll, we'll okay. get to that in one second. Um, so, all right. So there's a conflict between state and federal laws. Uh, we understand that's the, the main problem with banking. Um, we have some hope safe banking mm-hmm. act or the more act um, could come around and be their knight in shiny armor per se. Uh, as long as our good old politicians help move it forward. Um, and then 280E is still a real issue right now. Um, if you're in the game now, you got to know someone like Rye with some deep pockets. Uh, who's living? Yeah, I don't have deep pockets. <laughs> but I got some knowledge. <laughs> but uh, there's some hope, though. Um, like you said, there's, I mean, at least we, this is a lot different from uh, five years ago, three years ago, even two years ago. Uh, the conversation seemed to have shift. Um, and it's really inevitable. It's just a matter of when um, and what is it going to look like. So, um, anything else you think we should add to the key takeaways, right? Uh, no, I, th- I think you've you've covered them. I, I think I think we're we're great, and that's a lot. You know, that's that's a pretty comprehensive overview of sort of these financial pieces of the law. Awesome, awesome. So I'm um I got your information up here. How people can uh, get in touch with you. Um, I got Rod at kitelaw.com. Um, and your primary focus is, um, I know you mentioned earlier, as far as if there's an issue with taxes, you will help kind of resolve that. Um, so if, is that for someone who's in business or also personal or both? Um, business. So, yeah. So just to give a quick little 15 second, um, uh, my law firm represents businesses in the cannabis industry. So we, we provide a lot of business services such as business formation, business dissolution, contract negotiation, joint ventures, all the sort of typical business stuff that, that, that companies need. Uh, we also do a lot of compliance work. So if you're, you're, you're selling hemp or, or cannabis products, you know, and, and you're trying to comply with state or federal regulations, whether it be with, in terms of marketing or, or manufacturing or transporting products, you know, or, or, or are you compliant? Uh, intellectual property protection, uh, inter- international commerce. Uh, and we'll do some, some um, tax stuff. But a lot of a lot of what we operate also is people will contact us because they have an issue, uh, and if it's not something that we can handle in house, we have a wide network of, of fantastic lawyers that we work with throughout the country and the world, and we can put you in the right hands. So happy to to help with that as well. Awesome, awesome. We have a question from Lewis Smith who says it's pretty much on line what you're just talking about. Uh, what are some other resources you would recommend for a neophyte attorney dealing with cannabis? Uh, that's great. So some of the resources I'd say the main resource is the international. Uh, Cannabis Bar Association. It it used to be the National Cannabis Bar Association, founded by some of my friends uh, in San Francisco, and it's got a a very robust um, and and very open and welcoming group of attorneys throughout the country. And within the past year and a half or two, it's expanded internationally. And so the the INCBA, International um, Cannabis Bar Association, is a fantastic resource, and I I just can't recommend it uh, enough. I'm happy to talk. I talk with with neophyte attorneys and young attorneys all the time who reach out to me. Uh, and then one of the things that I'll say, because uh, th- this could be a whole nother show, uh, but I'll say is, you know, when we talk about cannabis law, 
uh, we're really cannabis is a thing. It's a product or something that we use. And so really it touches on most of the traditional areas of law that we think about, whether it be securities law and, and raising money for a cannabis business, uh, whether it be employment law uh, and, and including things like workers' compensation and stuff like that. Or if we talk about compliance, uh, food and drug law um, when, with respect to FDA and, and their state uh, affiliates. Certain, unfortunately, now it still involves uh, criminal defense, although hopefully that will go away pretty soon. Uh, it involves trademark and patents and, and intellectual property. So a lot of what, what to, it involves litigation. And so is to identify what, you know, within the context of law, what areas that you feel like you, you're, you're best suited for and that you like, and then, you know, move in and, and, and help clients um, in the cannabis industry within the context of what you do well. So we've always, way before we were a cannabis law firm, we always represented um, businesses. We did, I've done business law for over two decades. And wow. so this was a natural fit for us to help businesses navigate this ever-changing uh, regulatory environment. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, thank you again, Rob. What's up, smoking and cooking? I saw your comment earlier. You said, yeah. what up, Doe Earl? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Q, uh, as well, and Stacey for making some comments. I appreciate that. Um, a couple other comments real quick that we we did see um, from the show uh, for some pot, uh, some other podcasts. Uh, the importance of pH for home growers. Uh, very important, good information. Thank you, uh, Comedian Detroit Red, for making that comment. And then what is Delta 8TC on that video? I want to thank you for uh, Dennis Harrell, who mentioned my husband, used these CBD products from Weedborn and is very pleased. That's what's up. And also in the state of Michigan, we actually just regulated Delta 8. Um, it's coming out in October. Yeah, we've and I'll say if I can jump in, we yeah. my firm does a lot of work with Delta Eight, and actually we we wrote the legal position statement for the Hemp Industries Association, which is the oldest. Uh, it's the legacy hemp industry association in the country. It sued the DEA several times. I'm on the legal team suing the DEA about an issue right now with hemp. Um, but we published. Uh, an 11 page legal position statement articulating what Delta 8 is uh, and its legal status under under federal law. And it's on my blog, uh, which is um, which you can find at, at kiteoncannabis.com uh, or cannabisiness.law, same kind of thing uh, there. And I would encourage you if you have interest in Delta 8, it's a, it's a rapidly moving and evolving subject and product within an already rapidly moving you know field of cannabis. And uh, it's a lot to know and understand. And you can read that. Certainly reach out. We're happy to, to talk with you about it. That's what's up. That's what. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about Delta 8. Is it safe or where, where can you get it from? Or mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. That's great. Now, tell me a little bit about Mescal. Hey, what's up, Facebook user? Uh, you know, it says Facebook user because if you log in, give StreamYard access to your life, um, we're able to see your name. Um, but in the meanwhile, hey, what's up? Back to you. I appreciate that. Uh, Mexico, yes. Uh, I, if that's almost been going on as long as like the Safe Banking Act seemed like they almost, <laughs> you know, almost legalized, almost then legalized. Now it's back and forth. So where do we stand in Mexico right now as far as legalized cannabis? Yeah, it's 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 hard to summarize, but I'll try to do it real fast. Um, uh, in, in, as far as medical cannabis, it has been legalized. Uh, it is it is theoretically legal um, recreationally, and but what what happened and it's really interesting is. Uh, the Supreme Court in Mexico has ruled on five different occasions over the years uh, that the laws prohibiting the personal use of cannabis violate its constitution. Now, how about that? In fact, the Mexican constitution differs from ours in, in a lot of ways, but one of the key ways is it said that there is a right to the free expression of personality, the free expression of personality. We don't have that. And the Mexican Supreme Court said, well, prohibiting the use of, of cannabis violates that very provision. 
And uh, when the Supreme Court of Mexico ruled on an issue five times, it creates a legal precedent. And so the Supreme Court ordered the Mexican Parliament, which is or Congress, which is just like ours, it's a bicameral, two-chamber um, um, legislative body, to revise the rules in line with its with its ruling to revise the law. And the Mexican, for all these years, you're talking about it's like the Safe Act. They would say, "Oh, we're going to get around to it. We're going to get around to it," and they keep asking for extensions and extensions. Well, they passed a bill around, and it didn't get passed. Uh, or they went back and forth with the bill. And in April, I think I'm getting the dates right, uh, the, the last extension expired and the Congress did not ask the Supreme Court for an extension. And so what the Supreme Court did, they came in and said, those laws are null and void. Now, it doesn't mean that it, it, it didn't open up for commerce. It didn't open up regulation of anything. And still, but what it did say is that people that want to grow or use, if they file um uh, a, a, an application with what's called COFAPRI, which is roughly akin to our FDA. Uh, COFAPRI has to has to allow it. Period. So if you have that permit, which which should be a straightforward matter to get, I say should, uh, then you can use and, and, and grow cannabis. What it's what it's really going to do, though, I think, is finally um, spur the the Congress to to go ahead and, and actually initiate laws that will regulate it, allow for the for, for commerce and all these types of things. So it's 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 man, it, it, we're right in the middle of it right now. It's super exciting. And Mexico is poised to be the biggest uh, legal market in the world. Yeah. I mean, personal free freedom, what personal free expression, free personal expression. That's the only three words we needed in our constitution. <laughs> Are you serious? Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Expression of personality. Yeah, the free expression. So it's it's fantastic. Um, free expression of personality. Man, you know what? You know, I got my passport. I may see you soon, Rod. Over there, I'm going to express my personality um, <laughs> over there in Mexico, which is uh, ironic. I mean, wouldn't the uh, the cartel not want that? Uh, is that you know that's a great question i think what you know what we're seeing with the cartel is the cartel is, is you know i don't know a lot, much about the cartel and if even from the cartels watching this trust me i'm not trying to get <laughs> anybody's way anybody's business i'm just a little raw uh, doing my thing um no the cartels as, as, as i understand it, is a sophisticated organization and it's probably going to you know move in uh, into other areas and also probably participate in some way shape or form too that's you know up. so I, I i think it's it's going to be involved and not as the case may be that's what's up. That's what's up. So, all right. With that, Rod, I want to I want to thank you again for your time, fam. This has been great. Time has flew by. Uh, Lewis said thank you as well. He said this has been on point. Um, great information right on. I think he was talking about me, Rod. I don't know. I don't know if he's talking about you. Right <laughs> I think absolutely was about you. <laughs> awesome. It's been great. Um, hopefully, we could do a couple more shows as rules do change, especially uh, maybe we could do something just on Mexico. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I've enjoyed being here. Thank you so much for having me, Earl. I enjoyed talking with you. Thanks, everybody, for, for tuning in. Uh, feel free to reach out anytime. All right. With that said, everybody, keep life rolling. I'll see you next week. Thank you, Rod. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. For more Cannabis Therapy blogs and resources, check our website, CannabisTherapyNetwork.org. Cannabis Therapy Network dot O-R-G.